This morning, let's open the Word of God to Romans chapter 5. Text this morning will be Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. It has been said that this particular text is one of the most difficult passages of Scripture in the New Testament. We're not going to delve into every minute detail, but we're certainly going to hit the high spots this morning as we look to the Lord and His Word. This may be a text that one might think, well, is that really a a text that is appropriate for a Christmas text? But I assure you that it truly is because it speaks of the very coming of Christ, His advent that we are celebrating right now. That, That word advent means His arrival or His coming or His appearing. We are not of the uh, tradition that celebrates the, the four weeks of Advent like many other churches, but those four weeks of Advent each week emphasizes something different. Uh, the four weeks are, are hope, peace, joy, and love in that order. It's rather ironic that during the past month or so, we have been studying three of those four in the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, and peace which come to us as fruit from Christ via the Holy Spirit in our life. So we rejoice in the coming of Christ and the fruit that we have in us because of His grace in us. So this morning, we celebrate We rejoice in the fact that Christ has come. And I I hope this morning that the true spirit and truth about Christmas is in your heart today. What a sad thing it would be to be here and not embrace, not believe in this glorious truth of Christ's coming and what He's done for us. In this particular text this morning, we're going to be contrasting all of the curse that Adam has brought upon the human race and all of the blessings that Christ has brought contrary to the ruin that Adam brought to us. The glorious blessings in Christ. And this morning, I want us to look at four different categories between what Adam has brought to us, our first parent, and what Christ, the second Adam, has accomplished for us. First of all, in our text, in Romans chapter 5, let's begin looking first of all at verse 15, that second sentence there. For if by one man's offense, that's our first word that we're going to look at today, the offense that Adam brought, the offense that Adam did. For if by this one man's offense, many died. Look at verse 18 as he qualifies this word many. Therefore, as through one man's offense, Judgment came to all men. 
resulting in condemnation, you see. Adam and his offense brought to the whole world death, judgment, and condemnation. And he did that really in two different ways. First of all, let me say that Adam, when he sinned against God, when he rebelled against God, he represented the whole human race. It's very plain, isn't it? Look at verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world. Adam sinned, and simultaneously sin was in the world. It was a given. It was a fact. The old adage, in Adam's fall, we sinned all. It was just as if we would have been there, the only persons in the world, there in the garden, you, and you would have done the exact same thing because Adam represented us in the fall. The very word Adam means man. And when man, Adam sinned, man sinned in the Garden of Eden as he, as he represented us. He acted, this passage is often referred to as the headship passage. And Adam represented us as our federal head when he rebelled and sinned against God. It's as if, just as if, we would have been there because His sin is counted for us as it is our sin. Well, you say, well, is that completely and totally fair? Well, you see, every day, someone in Congress or our presidents or the House of Representatives passes some law that affects us, you see. And we really don't have a whole lot to do with it. But yet... Adam did, in fact, represent us. That's what the Word of God teaches. But again, it's as if we were exactly there. So we are related to Adam in this offense that he engaged in, we engaged in it as he represented us. And then secondly then, the, the, the very nature that Adam incurred when he sinned is also passed to us from our first parents. Look in verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. So that was before the law was ever given. Even according to those who had not sinned according to the likeness of Adam. You see, death reigned. It came upon all of those even though we didn't we, we didn't sin, just like the rebellious, sinful, doubting and denying and disobeying of God that Adam did. But yet death reigned even before the law was given, he mentioned there in verse 13. Nevertheless, sin came about and death reigned even before the law was given. So it's, it was just innately within every human being after Adam Sin. Now look look again there in verse verse twelve. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, there's the fact, and death through sin, and therefore death. Look at that next word. Death spread to all men because all had 
sinned. Now how did this sinful disposition spread? Does God create a sinful soul every time a human is born? Absolutely not. But this sinful nature that was now in Adam through merely the propagation of the human race, theologians refer to this as a seminal transfer of the Adamic nature into us. This, this sinful nature spread unto us. And we are all born in this state of sin. Theologians refer to, that, to this as original sin that we have. And therefore, we sin because we are sinners. It is, in fact, our very nature. And of course, this was the desire of Satan to bring the whole human race into this realm of sin. You recall back in the garden that, that Satan actually denied the very Word of God when he said, you shall not die if you partake of the knowledge of this tree of good and evil. And he said there, do you not know that you shall be as God? Knowing good and evil? You see, this was the very desire of Satan or Lucifer for when he fell. For he says, as it's depicted to us in Isaiah 14, Lucifer said, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. That was the desire of Lucifer. And now, the devil is tempting Adam and Eve, saying to them, if you will just partake of, the, of this tree, you will be like God. You see. And what did Adam and Eve do? Well, when Eve saw that the food was the fruit was good to eat, she partook of it, and she gave, gave to Adam, and he also ate of the fruit. There was the first offense. There was the offense that brought the whole human race into a place of condemnation through the very disobedience of Adam, through the disobedience of you, you and you and me. We were all involved in, reckoned sinners in, our forefather Adam. But praise God, Christ came to deliver us from the offense of Adam. For just as Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, for as the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the second Adam came, to provide obedience where Adam provided disobedience before God. Look at verse 15. Here's the good news. Here's the, the good news of the very coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the free gift, you can't earn it, you can't pay for it. It's a gift of God. For by grace you say, through faith, that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. This free gift that is given to us is not like the offense. For in the offense, the whole world... Uh, died and is subject to judgment and condemnation. 
But he says, how much more the grace of God and the gift of grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to the many. Praise God for this matchless gift of grace. Look at verse 18 again. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men. There's the bad news resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in the justification of life. So just as Adam totally blew it in the Garden of Eden and trespassed against the, against the Son of God, Jesus came to this earth and He defeated the wiles of the devil. Let's see again another contrast. Keep your place there in Romans and turn with me to Matthew. Matthew chapter 4. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, they were in a place that was in fact the most conducive place to win out over temptation. In an absolute place of blessing where everything they had was given to them. All they had was to reach out and take it. There was only one stipulation. And of course they rebelled against God and sinned against God by uh, doing that which was contrary to the will of God. But Jesus, on the contrary, had been in the wilderness where He had been tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. And during that whole time, He had not eaten anything. I was thinking about the very last temptation that Jesus encountered as He faced the devil. In verse 8, we're told that the devil took Jesus up upon an exceedingly high mountain and showed Him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And He said to Him, All of these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship Me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and only Him shall you serve. And during each temptation, Jesus relied upon the Word of God. What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses in his own soul? Was Satan given the complete ability to give Jesus the world? Well, Jesus said, I would... He, he was a sovereign Lord over the world. But He knew that He could not bow down before Satan. His desire was to only worship the Lord your God and to only serve Him. So even in the worst situation, the second Adam had victory over this temptation. Now turn your Bibles also to Philippians chapter 2. This is a glorious text about the very coming of Christ, the very advent of Christ, why He came. In Philippians chapter 2, 
we read about the nature of Christ in eternity past, who was in the very form of God. Colossians speaks about Christ being in the exact representation of God. This is the way He was. The second person of the Trinity. With the Father, even before creation, the eternal God, the eternal Son, He did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Yea, the Scripture says, in the beginning was the Word, and referring to Christ, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Scripture says in John chapter 6, Jesus said, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of Him who sent me. You see, this is the glory of this text. That He came, that He existed in the glories of heaven with the Father. You know, if I could just teach one glorious truth to the world as so many people look out upon the manger scenes, and I love them and they're beautiful, as we reflect about the birth of Christ, I would yell out to the whole world, that is not His beginning! He has no beginning. That's when He simply came to take on human flesh. He is the eternal God, and that's why there's nobody else like Him. No prophet. No other religion claims this. Mohammed had a beginning and he was full of frailties and sin. Buddha had a beginning. All of of the images and depictions of Christ by the cults do not present Him as this eternal God. But Christ is the eternal Son who came to us to deliver us from the disobedience and the offense of Adam. Look at verse 7. But he made himself of no rep- rep- reputation and took upon the form of a bondservant. There's, a, there's the glory of Christmas. And he came in the likeness of men. And he was found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself. And he became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross, you see. Here's his perfect obedience totally and completely contrary to the disobedience of Adam. Now let's turn back in our text in Romans chapter 5. Look at verse 18 again in Romans chapter 5. Therefore, just as one man's offense, Adam's offense, and and the absolute misery that he brought upon us, judgment came because of his sin to all men resulting in condemnation. But even so, through one man's righteous act, this free gift came to us. The gift of God. The free gift of God in salvation through this righteous act. Theologians differ a little bit about what this this word righteous act is referring to here. It possibly is referring to the very sinless life of the Lord Jesus Christ and how He modeled for us what it's like like to please God. He lived a life that was totally and completely obedient to the Father, never sinning in thought, word, or deed. And we are saved by the grace of God through His life. And then He committed the ultimate act of righteousness 
When He humbled Himself and became obedient even unto death, the death of the cross, when He poured out His life in obedience to the Father and shed His blood, His perfection, His righteousness, then is imputed to us as the gift of God's grace. And that makes us fit to enter into the, the blessings of heaven. Do you understand that? Have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? And are you saved this morning? I pray that if you're not, you would believe this Gospel and simply say in your heart, Lord, I trust You now. I understand this Gospel. Maybe I've never understood it before. Thank You, Lord, for coming down and providing a covering and a righteousness that I don't have. And just as the... the Iniquity, the sin of Adam, it has been imputed to the whole human race. When we receive this mercy and gift of the Lord Jesus Christ, His very goodness, His perfection, His righteousness is imputed to us. And the offense is canceled! And we stand firm and secure in the perfection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about the verses in Isaiah chapter 53. And verse 12, that he was, he was to come, and that when he came, he would bore, he would bear the sin of many. But praise God, he'd be raised from the dead, where he would then make intercession for the transgressors. You see, the offense was done away with through the glory and the power and the majesty of the perfection of the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in Romans chapter 5, back to our text, the second category that we're going to speak about here is the, the sin of Adam that came upon the whole human race and how Adam plunged the whole human race into sin. Now what is sin? Sin has two parts. First of all, sin is going contrary to what God desires. It is a transgression of the law of God. And then secondly, it also, we sin in that, not only by transgressing the law of God, but, but by not matching up to the perfection of God, by not conforming to the law of God. If we've sinned against God, if we've offended God in one sin, we're guilty of the whole law because we are deemed as sinners. The Scripture says in Romans chapter 3, in verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The word there means that we've fallen short, means we've missed the mark. It's an archery term. You see, we never hit. We, try, we can try to do good. We can try to please God, but we never quite match up. And God cannot allow any imperfection whatsoever to enter into heaven. And when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and sin came into the world, there was then and there an estrangement between them and God. There was enmity between them and God. They did not have access to the place and presence of God anymore. And you remember that God placed a flaming sword there in the Garden of Eden that would guard Adam and Eve from going into the presence of God and having that fellowship. Ephesians chapter 2 
says that as a result of Adam's sin, we are now born as children of wrath needing to be forgiven. And then there was the guilt that occurred from Adam's sin. Look in Romans chapter 3. In verse 19, 319, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. The law as a schoolmaster reveals the heinous nature of our sin and we realize that without the perfection of Christ applied to us, we are guilty. What happened when Adam and Eve sinned against God? They were ashamed. And they sewed figs leaves together to cover their nakedness before God. They knew that things were not right. They no longer had fellowship with God. They had guilt because of their sin. And besides this estrangement that they had before God, this guilt that they had before God, they were soon to realize that chaos had entered into their world because of sin. The very first two brothers, Cain and Abel, Cain murdered his brother Abel. There was sin in the world. There was chaos in the world. And you know there's chaos in our world too, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you laugh. A lot of trouble. A lot, a lot of crazy things going on. In the realm of health that we are dealing with now with this pandemic. with in, in the realm of our government, we could go on and on and on and on, right? There's chaos. It's always been that way as long as there's been sin in the world. In the midst of the Civil War, it was Christmas Day, in 1863. And Henry Longfellow was continuing to grieve the death of his second wife, Fanny, that had caught fire before their stove two years ago and died in result of the consequences of the fire. Henry tried to put her dress out, but the flames consumed her and she died. And then on December the 1st of that very same year, 1863, he had just gotten word that his son was shot and the way the bullet exited, he was in risk of being totally paralyzed. So here is now Mr. Longfellow. He's widowed. He has six children. He hear, he's hearing at this very moment the very thunders of the cannons of war that was going on. And yet, on that particular Christmas day, he heard the bells of the church ringing out. And someone uh, hand me the, the hymnal. I heard the bells on Christmas day. And hand that to me. I planned to get that, but I failed to do that. And you know, as we mentioned before, the, these hymns of Advent, uh, these seasons of Advent, reflect this hope and peace and joy of, and love that, thank you, that we have. And 
in the midst of the total and complete chaos that was going on, this is what Wadsworth wrote, or, or this is the words that came to him in the midst of trial and tribulation. He says, And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Then the peal, then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. As he heard those bells, he, remi- he was reminded about the hope and joy and peace of the gospel that God pours out His grace upon men who believe the Gospel. And that is our hope. That is the joy that we have during this Christmas time that we have, div- we have risen above the, the, uh, the sin and the offense of Adam and we've been accepted in the Beloved. As I was thinking about bells in reference to the Scriptures, I can only think of one place where there's bells in the Scripture. You remember when Aaron went into the most holy place on the Day of Atonement? Bells were placed in sync along with the pomegranates on the bottom of his robe. And as Aaron was in the whole, most holy place ministering before the Lord, as long as the children of Israel could hear the bells tinkling, they knew that the priest was active in his ministry for the people. And tradition says that when the high priest would enter into the most holy place, not knowing if his offerings were were satisfactory to the Lord, not knowing if his heart was pure as he was ministering before the Lord, if he ministered contrary to the will of God, the Lord would strike him down. And a rope was tied to the bottom of his, around his ankle. And if they heard no sound coming from the most holy place, it was an evidence that the God had struck him down and would pull the priest out of the holy of holies. But you know, we have a high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the only advocate between God and man, who did no, no sin, who was completely holy and righteous, Look in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 in verse 21. So as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Christ our Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ gave us His perfect obedience and His perfect righteousness that is applied to us Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Look at Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. There's the enmity of the offense removed. Now we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have the gift of righteousness through our Lord Jesus Christ where we can stand in Him just and righteous based upon what He accomplished for us in His righteous act. Amen. Therefore, we can rejoice in the Lord and what He's done for us. And then thirdly, 
The judgment and the condemnation that Adam gave us has been done away with through the pardoning grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look there in verse... Let's look at verse 16. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for judgment which came from the one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. And again, verse 18, Therefore, just as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Jesus said, or excuse me, the Lord God the Father said, In the day that you partake of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. That was God's judgment. And when they sinned against God in the Garden of Eden, judgment and condemnation was passed upon Adam, upon man. Look in Romans chapter 3 and verse 9. What then are they better than, are we better than they? Referring to the Jew and the Gentile combining them. Not at all. For we have perceived previously that both Jews and Greeks, that they are all under sin. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. And again, we looked at verse 19. Let's look at it again. And we know that whatever the law says, it says to those that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world become guilty before God. And because of that guilt, there was judgment and there was condemnation. And God couldn't just look the other way. In Exodus chapter 34 and verse 7, the Word of God says that God in no way will allow the guilty to go unpunished. Every sin that has ever been, ever been committed will receive a just punishment. Every one of our sins. If we are not in Christ, we will have to pay for those sins. We're, we're condemned already because we have not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will be held accountable for all of our sins. But yet Christ has come to put away sin. We see that again in this glorious verse in Romans chapter 5 and verse 18. That even though through one man's righteous act, the free gift comes to all men, to all who believe, resulting in the justification of life. That God, through this righteous act of Christ's coming, he, he justifies us. Now what does that word mean? He removes all ramifications of our sin. Some have said it's, it's just as if I had never sinned. He sees us with a clean slate. Totally forgiven. Our sins in total remission. The Scripture says that He removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. There's so many analogies to this in Scripture. Give them to you real quickly. Uh, in Jeremiah chapter 50, it's as if the very scrutiny of the divine court looks upon those that are forgiven and God says, I see no iniquity within you. 
In Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 22, it's as if our sins were like the mist of a cloud that has dissipated and can be seen no more because of the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a, it's a covering. The righteousness of Christ is a covering to us that is not seen by God. Psalm 51 and verse 9 and Psalm 32 and verse 1. It's as if our sins have been removed to the backside of God so that He does not see our sins anymore. Isaiah chapter 38 and verse 7. Ah, they're cast into the very bottom of the sea and where they will never come to attention again. That's in Micah chapter 7 and verse 19. In Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 25, the Scripture says that God is the one who blots out our transgression. Why? For His own name's sake, that He receives the glory of remitting our sins and doing away with our sins. It's just as if I had never sinned. But also, the word justification, when we believe in Christ, it's an accounting term. Just as Adam's sin was accounted or imputed to us through his sin, through our own sin, now in Christ, this is the hallelujah chorus of Christ coming. The very perfection and the righteousness of Christ that's that free gift of grace that is bestowed upon the one who believes. This is the glorious truth. The reason He came. To bestow His gift. To take away the offense, the disobedience, the sin, and the judgment and the condemnation that was in Adam. It's all removed through the free gift of grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we receive this perfection. Look at Romans chapter 3 and verse 24. But also for us it shall be imputed to us who believe in Him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Referring to verse 22. And it was accounted to Him for righteousness. The one who believes. You know, there's so many people here in this Christmas season that does not understand that. And it grieves me because they do not understand the basic tenets of the Gospel. That salvation is totally by the grace of God. Not of works lest we should boast, but it's the free gift of God bestowed upon the sinner who simply believes and trusts the Gospel. Do you understand this morning what Christmas is all about? That Christ has come and He's offered to us the free gift of salvation where we can have the very righteousness of Christ. What a Gospel! What a rejoicing in the coming of Christ. Charles Wesley had it right when he wrote the hymn Amazing Love. No condemnation now I stand. Jesus and all in Him is mine. Alive in Him my living head and clothed in righteousness divine. Behold, I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Amazing love, how can it be that Thou, my God, just die for me? That's the story of Christmas. That's the fact of Christ has, has come to deliver us 
from the first Adam by giving us the second Adam whereby He says concerning our sin. And I said every sin will be paid for. You have to pay for it yourself or Christ pays for it in completeness. And He steps paid. The account is closed. Your sins are forgiven based upon the justifiable grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Romans chapter 5 now. Again, we've looked at this verse time and time again. One more time. Even though so through this one man's righteousness, the free gift came to all men, resulting in the justification of life. The judgment and the condemnation is gone. And the judgment that resulted in death has been done away with. Look at 5.21 again. So that just as sin reigned in death, the soul that sins shall die. The sin that reigned in death, even so now grace might reign through the righteousness, that is the righteousness of Christ, to eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. In Adam, we all die. But in Christ, we are all made alive. You remember, we studied Pilgrim's Progress for a few uh, many months this year, what was Bunyan or Christian saying when he was fleeing the city of destruction? Life, life, I must have eternal life. Christ came in order that we might have life and that we have, might have it more abundantly. Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except me through me. John chapter 1 and verse 4. In Him was life, and His life was the light of men. John chapter 8 and verse 12. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Adam brought us sin, condemnation, and darkness. Christ brought us salvation, peace with God, and the very light of life. Another hymn that we did not sing this morning was, uh, I forget who the author is, Beethoven gave us the music. Joyful, joyful. Joyful, joyful, we adore Thee, God of glory, God of love. Hearts enfold like flowers before Thee. Hail Thee as the sun above. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness. Drive the dark of doubt away. Giver of immortal gladness. Fill us with the light of day. The light of the world has given us His life in order that we might have the very light of life. And now, though we do not see Him, Yet we love Him. Amen. And having believed, we, re we rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory as we are receiving the salvation of our souls. Let's pray together. Holy God, we thank You this morning for the glory of the Gospel. 
We thank You, Lord, that when You look down in eternity past, You designed this glorious Gospel that Christ was going to be the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. God, You had pity upon us and You made us a way that we do not have to die in Adam, but we can have life in Christ. Lord, for us who have embraced this Gospel, we we say to You this morning, thank You, Lord. Thank You for sending Christ. Thank You for His coming, His dying, His ascending into heaven. And we look forward to that time when we will meet Him again. When He comes for us. We praise You, Lord. <clears throat> Father, I pray as well if there's one person here today that does not know the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't have the assurance of the forgiveness of their sins. They're still guilty before You and they know that they are. Father, I pray You'll be speaking to their hearts right now. That by Your power, You would give them the faith to believe and to trust in this glorious Gospel. That they might have their sins forgiven. So Father, work in each heart today. We pray. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Perhaps this morning, you don't know for sure if you have believed this gospel. If you have questions, I pray that even after the service today, you might seek out myself or Brother Ryan. That you would you would embrace right now the true truth of Christmas and believe the gospel and be saved. I'm gonna remain at the front if you want to talk to me about it. Brother Ryan, come up here. We'll both talk to you. We'll pray with you until you get it straight. So that you'll have the most glorious Christmas you've ever had before. And I pray that'll be the, the truth for all of us this Christmas season, that we will reflect upon this grace of God that has been bestowed to each of us. And that we'll have a blessed and glorious Christmas as God's people. Let's stand together and we'll sing the doxology. Praise God from